My name is Jenna and I'm here to help you do all the hard things. I'm a licensed professional counselor with nearly 10 years of clinical and research experience working with people who have some of the most debilitating OCD and anxiety in the world. I'm also a mom, a personal trainer, and a lover of modern spirituality. My goal is to bring you all the research, guidance, and encouragement you need to help you remember and know how strong you truly are. Now let's get to it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Alrighty, we have Noelle here. Noelle, thank you for spending this time with us today. I know your story is going to be really helpful for women and anyone else who's listening. So first things first, before we dive in, I'd like for you to just give the listeners a little bit of background information about your family, some demographics, so that we can have some context for your story. Sure thing. Um... So like Jenna said, I'm Noelle. Uh, I am a transplant to the Waukesha area um, in Lake County. Um, originally come from the middle of Wisconsin, came for school, went you know through one of the local colleges here in the Milwaukee metro area, um, obtained my four-year degree, got a career, met my husband, uh, got married, all that jazz. You know, both of us kind of grew up in a smaller insulated community and so you know coming to the big city was kind of fun and got to experience a lot more things and um so now we're in the lake county area and we have one uh child a boy and i've been settling down and kind of starting a family here in this area it's been really awesome Mm -hmm. how old is your son he is currently uh 19 well 20 months now um So just shy of, you know, two years. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So that gives us a little bit of perspective where you're coming from in your motherhood journey and all of that. So why don't you bring us up to speed how it was being pregnant and then your experience and transition into actually becoming a mom? Sure. Um, So with my pregnancy with my son, um, I will be the first to admit I am not a fan of being pregnant. I know a lot of women say, oh, I glowed and I loved it. I don't like the mood swings. I don't like the hormones. I knew that you know, it wasn't going to necessarily initially be a fun process. It was cool. It was exciting. But I think my biggest thing, and I have a sibling who's currently pregnant as well, and my first message to her was, it's okay to not be okay with being pregnant. You don't have to love it. And that was something that I kind of felt pressured into feeling like I had to love it but I didn't. Um, but yeah, so ultimately it was an uncomplicated pregnancy. Um, things didn't really get interesting in terms of pregnancy conditions until we got closer to delivery. And my son decided that he did not want to flip. He wanted to be breech. So, um, I went through the process of trying to do a version with my OBGYN Um, Unfortunately, we were not successful and I ended up having a planned C-section. So that was kind of the pregnancy journey and and then, you know, going into that. 
I hear from so many women who are coming forward and busting that myth and busting that stereotype that pregnancy is amazing and you're glowing and don't you just love every moment of it. And I was just having a conversation with somebody earlier about how we didn't like it. We also didn't enjoy pregnancy. And I think it's one of those things that as women, we feel pressured to have to put on this happy face and say that it's wonderful because we know or have heard so many women who had a hard time conceiving or really want children and they're not able to have them for whatever reason. And so we feel the need to kind of put a good face on and all that. Um, And I think that consequently, right, like we end up setting women up for failure in the future when it is that their experience is naturally not what they expected or it's uncomfortable. And so I'm glad that we're coming out and more people are talking about it. Yeah. And like, there's just so many uncomfortable things that can happen during pregnancy, even like normal uncomfortable things that as like a, you know, newly pregnant mom, you're sitting back going, what is my body doing here? Oh my gosh. There's so much that's not quote unquote normal for me. So I think it's accepting and loving yourself for it. And that in itself can be an extremely hard journey. Mm -hmm. And I know these conversations of people not loving pregnancy, like I know they can be really triggering for people who want that so badly. And your experience is valid. Our experience is valid. I'm a big fan of like, everyone's experiences are valid and I can be really grateful and totally heartbroken for those women who can't experience pregnancy the way that I did. And I still like, it was really difficult for me. Yeah. Um, So awesome. Really good that we're getting that out there. So talk to me, I mean, the C-section too, that unexpected plan, like a lot of women really struggle when they have this plan and it didn't go according the way that they wanted to. So just talk to me about some of the difficulty and, you know, emotion behind that. Actually, for me, my C-section was a huge relief. Okay. Um, Most of the women that are immediately close to me in my family have had emergency C-sections or... um, you know, like things had just kind of gone wrong in labor and delivery that they then were whisked away and had this dream of like, you know, doing a vaginal birth and stuff like that. For me, I was absolutely terrified of the vaginal birth. Um, I have, I'm kind of a nerd and I like looking into the medical details of things and watching a lot of medical shows and it completely freaked me out all of the side effects that can occur postpartum with doing a vaginal delivery versus I knew what to expect with a C-section. It was controlled, it was calm, like I had say of when and how and all that jazz. And so when we couldn't flip my son, I was so beyond excited to have the C-section. I guess it's that last element of control that I could have before, you know, the baby takes over my life, Mm -hmm. if you will, if you're gonna be dramatic about it. Yeah. And, and you're bringing up such a good point, which is like, everyone is different. So even if we assume that everyone out there, like does not want a C-section, like you're speaking to the women who are experiencing exactly what you experienced, which was like, it actually was a relief and this is my situation. So I really love that. Yeah. Um, You talked also about an ectopic rupture in surgery. So I did, um, about two months after I married my husband, um, we found out unexpectedly that I was pregnant one weekend when I had severe abdominal pain on my left side. Um, I had an IUD at the time. And so the thought of being pregnant and being that 0.1%, 
of um, IUD failure was like, wait, what? So one weekend we found out we were pregnant and about a, the next weekend, um, unfortunately the pregnancy ruptured. It was on my left ovary. Um, as a result of that rupture, I did have some blood loss, nothing catastrophic, um, but it did require surgery to stop the bleeding. Um, I was one of the very few lucky women who I got to keep all of my reproductive parts. So um, I kept my ovary in my um, left fallopian tube. Yeah, something that not a lot of women experience and or talk about. So no, no, that had to have been shocking, right? <laughs> like, For sure. I yeah. remember sitting in the ER when we first found out we were pregnant and I'm like my head's whipping back and forth between the nurse practitioner who told me you're pregnant and my husband at the time, both of us are sitting there kind of shell shocked. And I just remember like looking at him and saying, can we keep it? Cause I was like, so absolutely terrified that because we were so newly married and we were not actively trying to have a baby, then he was going to be like, uh, are we ready for that? Mm -hmm. Um, and it wasn't even like a moment where I thought about terminating the pregnancy in that moment. It was more of like a, oh my gosh, let's keep it. I want a baby. And I think that kind of triggered my journey to want to become a mother, um, perhaps a little sooner than I was thinking with my son. So I think that was two years before I had my son that we had the ectopic. Yeah, that must have just been a huge rush of so many emotions. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a number of panicked phone calls to my parents, to his parents. Um, yeah, it, it was just a crazy week or so. Um, and I think following that like rupture, you know, like the women that, you know, do miscarriage or they do lose a child, um, you know, a little, little bit later in pregnancy, I feel like I can relate to them a little bit more because following the rupture, like you make all these plans, like, oh, I'm pregnant, like we're gonna have a baby. And then um, unfortunately that doesn't come to fruition and you mourn the loss of that child, even though it wasn't viable. Right. Yeah, I can't even imagine the the high of like, oh my gosh, let's do this. Like I'm ready to go. And then the devastation that followed so quickly after that. I think the biggest key to kind of can you know move forward is to make sure you can develop a support network, whether it be your friends, your family, your partner. Um, really, as you start looking at any journey into motherhood, is just keep your loved ones around. You may not want them to be near you. You may not need them all the time, but like when you do need them, then they're there. Yeah, for sure. And I can just, it's probably got to be hard for you and for women who have gone through something like that, like to have all those emotions and the world around you keeps spinning. Like you have to keep yeah. doing these things. You have to continue, like people are still at the grocery store, but so much in your life has just changed. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the time I had um, a teaching position, I am no longer teaching, but at the time I was, it was in the middle of my summer break. So I guess I felt really lucky that I could take time away from people. Um, if I was to, you know, like add to it, like, oh, I have to go back to work, like a, you know, traditional job. I, I don't know how that would have played out. I think that I, I took the time that I needed to grieve, to you know, come to terms with everything, 
um, because I had the opportunity to, you know, use my summer vacation for that. Um, but man, perhaps to women who, you know, handle a loss, regardless if it's a topic or miscarriage or whatever, and then they still go to work, yeah. you know, and not, you know, hide in their house or something like that, you know, props to them. I'm, I, I'm in shock and awe of them mm-hmm. and their strength. Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of strength, you talked about how once your child was born, he had a condition that required open heart surgery. So I'm sure there were just so many more emotions that went into that for you and for your family. So talking to us about that, if you can, how you coped and what your general experience of that was. Yeah. So he was born by C-section, as I mentioned, there were no post-operative indications whatsoever that he had any underlying heart condition. Um, when, you know, he was first taken out and they started doing his vitals and all that stuff. Um, basically it wasn't until we had the pediatrician come in 24 hours later that they were commenting about a murmur that he had with his heart. So I tried to downplay it, like rationalize it. Like, oh, I have a heart murmur. I have a non life-threatening benign heart murmur. It's just like a valve that kind of makes a little whoosh sound. Um, That's a genetic feature within my family. I'm like downplaying it saying, oh, that's not a big deal. I have a murmur. My mom has a murmur. My grandpa had a murmur. Like, not a big deal. And they're like, "Mm, this is a little louder than it should be. So they then um, did what is called a cardiac echogram. And that is where they just basically do an ultrasound of the heart right across the chest. They sent the results over to Children's, and from there we met with a cardiologist who, after reviewing reviewing the cardio echo, um, determined that our child was born with a genetic heart defect called tetralogy of flow. Basically, what it boils down to is four elements within his heart were misformed, um, and the biggest one was the two ventricles, which are the two lower chambers of the heart, they had a giant hole between the two chambers. And it would only close through surgery. Most babies are born with an itty bitty little hole um, between those two chambers and it closes naturally. Um, it's just part of the you know growth and progress of a child's development. Uh, for, um, for my son, unfortunately, that wasn't going to be the case. We couldn't just let nature take its course. With the two hole, with the hole there, it becomes then a domino effect with other um, anatomies of the heart trying to compensate and then um, unfortunately not functioning in the way they should. So because of the defect, um, it, we spent the next three, four months watching his weight gain, his food intake, his you know, output, you know, through bodily functions to make sure he was uh, um, growing the way that he should. So it involved a lot of very, very precise measurements of how much um, milk or formula he drank and making sure he had adequate wet and um, dirty diapers throughout the day. And we had to track it very closely. Mm -hmm. That had to have been so, I mean, you're, every time that I have a mom interview, I, I'm always brought back to like a portion of my early motherhood. And sometimes it's like 
the labor process. Sometimes it's pregnancy, but you're bringing me back to my son also had um, a faint heart murmur when he was in my belly, but then also it lasted until he was maybe like six weeks old. He never went um, to the state where he had to get seen by a cardiologist and children's and all of that. But like, even that was so disorienting for me as a mom. I feel like back then, like I was just in a fog of like, this downplaying of it, but also this like inner devastation, like this doom feeling, this cloud of like, oh my gosh, like For this sure. is not going the way that I expected. And like, how do I handle this? It's was yeah. just awful. So I yeah. feel for you for sure. Yeah. And like one of the big things we were watching for was to make sure that when he cried or when he got upset that his lips and his fingertips and stuff were not turning blue. Mm -hmm. Um, The nickname for babies with what my son has are called Tet babies. Um, They just shorten Tetralogy to Tet. And they can go one of two ways. They can either be called a pink Tet or a blue Tet. Um, Pink Tet means that they oxygenate really well on their own and they don't require surgery right out of the womb. If they're a blue tet, they don't oxygenate well, and that results in them having surgery much sooner. So the goal was to get him as big as possible before his heart and lungs um, weren't able to keep up with his growth needs. So it's a fine balance between waiting to let the baby get bigger, and um, but also doing it early enough before we cause damage to you know like stunt his growth and development Mm -hmm. so he got really lucky that we got to wait until about four and a half months to five months old um before it was time to kind of get him on um get him to children's to have the heart surgery not emergently or anything like that but um it came at the right time like he was starting to um starting to have early signs of like kind of heart failure Um, We see that when there's fluid that develops around the heart and prevents the lungs from expanding the way they should. Um, So they counteract that with um, as long as they can with medication, like a a, kind of like a water pill, except for babies, to get that water away from the heart so it can, you know, the lungs continue to function like they should. Um, But right at about four months or so, we were starting to see him go towards the, I'm not doing as well. For all my bloggers, entrepreneurs, social media junkies, and general creative hearts out there, you need to be using Flowdesk as your email marketing platform. With this user-friendly platform, you'll no longer spend hours trying to figure out how to put your emails together, let alone how to manage your subscribers. Their beautiful templates are going to leave a beautiful, lasting impression with your subscribers, and it's super customizable, so you can add your own logo and anything else you need to help connect with your audience. It's also cost-effective and offers a really intuitive and easy-to-navigate user experience. If you want a free trial and then 50% off of your actual subscription, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com and click on Deals, or enter Jenna Overbaugh at flowdesk.com. Design emails people actually love to get in their inbox. Plus, they offer unlimited everything, unlimited subscribers, and access to all of their awesome features. So go ahead, grow your list. Again, just head to my website at www.jennaoverbod.com and click on deals. 
these surgeries and anything medical obviously is really difficult for moms, whether it's shots or yeah, you know, surgeries of all different ser- levels of seriousness. So talk to us about how you kind of coped as a mom and as a family through the difficulty of having your son at four and a half months go through this really, really serious surgery. Yeah. Um, I think I like, I'm super lucky that my husband is a very type A personality. So organization, um, data collection, um, all of that is kind of his forte. So I could just work on being emotionally invested in my son, being there for him. Um, I took the full three months um, maternity leave from my employer at the time. And when I returned back to work after that three months, I only went back part-time. I don't think I ever really went back to working full-time after having my son. And I think that that's going to be the biggest key for me as to how I coped. I knew that going to work was a stressor because I was having to trust someone else, like a daycare facility or um, extended family to watch him. And um, that's definitely something in my postpartum that I struggled with a lot. And so by having technology where I could kind of monitor things throughout the day when I wasn't with him or um, just, you know, tagging out being present with my son um, and just holding him was very helpful. Um, Yeah, but it definitely was not easy. I think I, um, by the time I went back to work at three months, I was starting to notice some uh, postpartum depression symptoms. Um, some, you know, like, you know, I guess my symptoms and triggers of saying, Ooh, I probably should be looking at getting some help was when I was looking at my son one particular day and I just felt so sad. Like he did, you know, like other moms say, okay, I look at my baby and I see happiness. I see joy. I just felt like downright sad. Like I felt bad because he was, you know, sick and I couldn't help him. It was up to others to help him. So, yeah. I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that difficult pregnancy, unexpected delivery, difficult introduction into motherhood, as far as like unexpected medical conditions and having these really high emotion, almost like crisis situations being dumped on you. Like that's almost a perfect melting pot for, yeah things to go wrong emotionally because we're already sleep deprived like without all these additional situations on top of it our hormones are already completely jacked up without all this other stress on top of it and it's like it's no wonder why women with difficult you know difficult pregnancy not really enjoying it unexpected labor situations and then boom like unexpected medical conditions and surgeries on top of it like I, I can only imagine and totally feel for women who then move on to experience depression or symptoms of, of anxiety. So yeah. I think other, other examples, if you can think about it, like other day-to-day examples of how this depression and anxiety kind of came up for you on a day-to-day basis, because I'm sure you're in good company with people who are yeah. listening. And I think when we're in the thick of it, we don't realize that that's what it is. Like we don't realize yeah. that the things that we're doing and the way that we talk to our partner or the way that we look at our child could be postpartum depression or could be postpartum anxiety. So by yeah. hearing these day-to-day examples could be really helpful. Yeah. Um, I think that the sense 
for me, it was a sense of guilt too that was irrational. I recognize it now, but it was this definite underlying feeling like, oh, I had you know, like my own medical history of having this heart murmur. Well, like, did I somehow pass this on to my son? And is it my fault that he has this? Um, I didn't learn until later after meeting with the cardiologist a couple of times and doing further research, you know, through support groups on Facebook, for example, um, that the medical condition that my son was, you know, um, suffering from, it wasn't necessarily genetically passed by a family member. Some, you know, genes got messed up and it's just the way that, you know, nature, whatever divine being you you know, follow, decided that his life was going to be. Um, so overcoming that guilt of, you know, his health condition. And I also struggled very strongly with um, breastfeeding. He was always so tired because he had to work so hard just to, you know, stay awake and be a happy baby um, that he just didn't have the energy to stay awake to breastfeed. Um, so I spent a lot of time and energy doing a lot of pumping to try and help, you know, give him that, um, nutritional supply. And I just wasn't able to keep up with him. Um, so I had that sense of guilt where I, you know, like was feeling like I was failing him yet again. I couldn't protect him. I can't feed him. So you have these irrational thoughts that just start spiraling. Um, and I think those two elements, um, kind of were an underlying theme and I didn't have necessarily a choice prior to surgery to kind of um, really investigate my thought process or like take interventional steps to um, start working on my own mental health. Um, it wasn't until we had surgery when I really realized how bad it was getting and in the hospital like this part I'm kind of like, it's, it's a little hard to admit to the world, but um, I've talked about it obviously with my therapy team since then. Um, but in hospital, I actually had thoughts of, well, you know, from a place of, I want to protect my child. So what if I were to end his life so he doesn't have to um, suffer any further? And I realize it's kind of a shocking statement for those who don't experience postpartum depression, anxiety, but it, the thoughts came from a place of motherhood. I wanted to protect him. Mm -hmm. I wanted to prevent any further suffering. And when you have some of these quick line thoughts where you just, it, it snowballs so quick within an instant where you go from zero to 60, that was one of the thoughts that came through that like going, I really need to get some more help than what I have. My OBGYN office was amazing in getting me started on an antidepressant, but I needed some bigger guns to help me through the emotions and the things I was feeling. And post-surgery was when I finally was able to get the help that I needed. Um, so I think it's just a matter of, for women that are starting to go through these feelings of sadness, of fear, of let's maybe write them down write them down and then come back to them in a moment later to say, okay, is this a real fear? Is this a rational fear? Is this something where it's kind of getting a little excessive? 
and maybe even bringing in your partner to say, hey, these are a couple of fears that I have, please don't judge me. But are these rational? Are these real? Are these tangible fears that I have? So sometimes we need to slow down and reality check ourselves a little bit um, and take a little time just to invest in our own selves. And I realize that as a mom, it's so hard to do that, but we need to take like two minutes. You're, I'm so thankful and, and gracious that you shared what you just shared because I know it was difficult to, to go to that depth and to say what it is that was on your mind at the time, but I guarantee you there are so many women out there who are like, yes, that's me. Like I felt that way or I'm feeling that way right now. And the relief and the solidarity that they're going to get from your vulnerability in that moment is completely invaluable. And like, I'm so, this is what's so beautiful about this podcast is like, we would never say that to someone face to face, or maybe, maybe, maybe we have those close support networks and maybe we're at a point where we can say that, you know, with confidence and faith and all that, but I don't think so. Otherwise I feel like we would all be saying it more. Um, and so you're bringing up other things. Like, I feel like, especially when we're dealing with crisis situations within our family, like you were with your son's surgery, it's almost like a hierarchy of needs, right? Like you were yeah. in tunnel vision mode. You had to navigate this surgery. Yep. Like, how could you have possibly prioritized your mental health? And yeah. in hindsight, obviously we can look back and be like, it was necessary. Like we should have, cause I was in the same situation too. I remember like wanting to get help for myself so badly so many times. And it's like, how would I do that? Like, there's not enough time in the day. I'm worried about this, this, and this instead, like mm -hmm. a hierarchy of needs. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us consciously or not, we put mental health, maternal mental health at the bottom of the higher or at the, yeah, at the bottom of the hierarchy. Like it's the least yeah. Um, so really good stuff there. I'm sure so many people can relate. And yeah. then the other one too, is this sense of, you know, if anyone out there is experiencing those emotions or those thoughts of like, you know, you know, I, if I want to do it from a place of protection, if I want the best for my child, like, should I just go away? That is definitely something that you can get help with. And yeah, that's there is available. And, and these women who do speak up and say things like that, it is usually out of good intentions. Like I remember when I was really in the thick of it, I really, really struggled. Like my son was always awful around me. Like his emotions were just crazy around me. He was just a complete terror around me. He was the most miserable baby, but only around me, it seemed. And when he was around my mom, he was fine. When he was around my husband, he was fine. But when it was just me, it was the most miserable experience, I'm sure, for both of us. And after a year of doing that and being so run down and so, like, hopeless, I looked at him several times and had thoughts of, like, if you're that miserable around me, like, I want to just leave. Like, I want what's best for you. Like, if I'm that awful, like, I'll do that for you. Like, I'll run away. And yeah. So I feel you and you're not alone. And what you shared is so relevant. And, and unfortunately, it's unfortunately relevant. Like, I don't yeah. want to say that other moms are probably experiencing that a lot, but I think a lot of other moms are experiencing that a lot. Yeah. And I think if you talk to any person that has suffered from depression or anxiety, regardless if it's postpartum or not, I think that they're not, they're the last person in the world that's going to judge you for those thoughts. And I mean, you know, the, 
the organizations out there that are there to validate your feelings and stuff like that, they're ready, willing, with open arms. Um, I think that sometimes though we feel so challenged to know initially where to go to get the help. And I think that is like one thing I struggled with a little bit in finding the help that I needed. I think, I mean, I really truly felt like my hands were tied to some extent to when I was ready to start investing in myself um, to get my foot initially in the door. I mean, once the, my foot was in the door, the help was there, but yeah, mental health is such like a taboo subject at times with, you know, not even related to motherhood that it's hard to sometimes know where to start because we don't talk about it. And that's why like part of the reason I wanted to talk to you, you about what's going on in my life and kind of my experiences that way people know a place to start. Um, and so you don't feel like you just have to walk into a random ER saying, I'm having bad thoughts of self-harm or harm towards others. Like there should be a place that we could go for help before it comes to that. Um, yeah. And a little and bit more. I think, I think our maternal mental health system in particular, I, this could be its own podcast episode. Yeah. Like I could just rant forever, but it's failing women. I hope that we're getting better with it, but yeah, yeah so important to take that step, whatever it is making a phone call, joining a support group, whatever it is that you can, yeah. like, wait, not waiting. And it should not be the last resort for sure. Yeah. yeah. So keep asking, like, keep like message to other moms who are currently suffering. Keep asking for help. Keep talking. Don't give up. Yeah. I know that's the world's hardest thing to say. Um, but you know, we have other moms, we got your backs and we'll, you know, bend over backwards to help get you the support that you need so you can be a better parent or you can be a better you, um, a, you know, just a better overall self. So. Yeah. I remember when I was in the thick of it too, like hearing advice like this, it was like, no way. Like you might be able to help every other woman who's out there get out of this trench, but no one's going to be able to help me. And yeah. I just want everyone to know, like, no, you can be helped too. Like, yeah it, there's effective help out there there's really good support out there there's light at the end of the tunnel we just yeah. have to be willing and know that it's there and be willing to take that first step um so you mentioned you are mentioning a lot now of kind of like what was helpful um sharing these things and being able to share these things with your therapy team so i'm curious like what has helped you become stronger. You're saying now that you're a stronger family, you're a closer family. So speaking to this more, talking about the ways that you've grown kind yeah. of before and after where you are at now as a family and what has contributed to those positive shifts. Um, I ended up going through a partial in inpatient program just to kind of like knock myself back into the realm of normal a little bit. It helped break some of the negative thought cycles um, that were going on. And that might not be the right program for everybody. It was a 10 day, basically full-time job um, program that I was able to go through, which was amazing. And I realized that that's probably not an option for all, all moms, like to give up 10 days of your time, full-time, you know, finding childcare for that. But um, there are other, you know, half day programs or, you know, at least, you know, once a week, get together groups that are out there um, that, were all very helpful after that um, partial program. Um, and then following that, it was just 
making sure I met with my um, therapist on a regular basis to kind of talk through my fears, anxieties, um, concerns, and um, making that therapist a good fit for what I wanted. It's okay to not meet, you know, to meet with the first therapist and be like, mm, your personality doesn't quite jive with mine. I ran into that when I was in the partial program. There was a couple of therapists that their techniques didn't work for me and in fact kind of did the opposite, but they might work for somebody else. So one therapist does not fit all. Keep trying with different therapists if they don't click with you. Um, I can guarantee you that there is one out there that will click with you. Um, another thing that has worked is that I brought my husband into my therapy appointments to, um, to help him understand with what's going on. Some of his, the worksheets and some of the informational stuff I shared with my husband so he understood where my brain was going and why it was doing what it was doing. And I think knowledge is power. And for me, at least, is to understand why is my brain doing what it's doing? You know, what's the science behind it? What's the logic that it's following, the patterns it's following? And once I understood that process, um, I was able to then infiltrate that process to break up that negative cycle. And I think it's a matter of knowing how you think and how you, um, how you learn. And you can then tailor that therapy, that um, intervention based on how you think and how you work. Mm -hmm. So kind of going back to knowing yourself, you know yourself and when it's not doing okay, you know how you learn, you know how to educate yourself. You, you know, you've made it this far and learning from various life situations. So you know how to learn. So mm -hmm. I guess that's a big thing that I found to be very helpful. Um, and just keeping your family in the loop. Just let your family know, hey, I'm having a really bad day today. I am really sorry if I am a little short triggered. I just need a little extra love today if that's okay. And then maybe the next day is a little bit better. And just know it's a, it's, it's a spectrum. Like you can have good days and bad days and still be gradually moving towards a better place. And that's been a, kind of like a hard thing to break for myself with this all or nothing thinking like, I'm having a really great day. Oh darn, I'm having a really bad day. Uh, my life is not ruined because I'm having a really bad day. It's actually going really okay. It's okay to just be okay. I realize that's a bunch of rambling, but that's kind of some of the things I've had to learn and grow. Yeah. And I, I love that you're giving these like little tidbits of things that you've learned and nuggets that have been helpful for you. And that, you know, these are practices that you've been implementing in your life. And what's really cool from a therapist's perspective is these aren't just things that you learned about in therapy and then you never implemented in your life, right? Like it seems like you took them really seriously and you have activated these skills and you took these interventions home. And even after therapy, even outside of therapy, you're really trying hard to kind of implement these things, challenger, you know, all or nothing thinking, bring about more neutral types of thinking. So it's really great stuff. And for women who can't get access to therapy right now or people who are in a position where that's just not their time, these little tidbits of things that they could be doing or learning more about, I think are really helpful. And like you said, I think just the education about what's going on with you and what is some explanation behind kind of your thought processes during this vulnerable time of motherhood can be really helpful because 
I think without that education, what happens is we tend to personalize everything. So like I'm having these thoughts and I'm feeling this way, that must mean that I'm a bad mom. Whereas if we implement some education and some normalizing of these experiences, we kind of, it's less personal and therefore there's less shame and guilt associated with it. So I think there's so much benefit and so much relief that can, can come simply from just becoming more educated. And the education piece, there's so much out there, just readily available on Instagram, on, yeah. you know, Postpartum Support International is a really great resource. Like there's education out there. So there are little things that women can do absolutely to take the edge off and just kind of get through those days that seem really, really awful. Yeah. And I mean, this podcast series, when I brought it up with my therapist, she's like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. There are so many topics that are being talked about that can help normalize some of this, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety. Um, And one of the cool things about doing the partial is I heard so many different stories of how depression and how anxiety and how you know some of these um, things manifested in other people in different life situations that I'm like oh hey there are way more people out there in this world that are experiencing similar feelings internally to what I'm having despite not having gone through the same thing that I have this must be a quote-unquote normal feeling for people that have these medical conditions so yeah, there's something very unique in particular about postpartum issues that the solidarity is like no other. Like, I nothing when I was in the trenches of it, and even now, like nothing helps more than knowing that another woman has gone through it or is going through it. It eliminates, like we talked about, that shame cycle. Like it just it reduces and totally interrupts that shame cycle of feeling like you're the only one going through it. this is personal to you. You're doing things wrong. It's like, whoa, this is unfortunately sometimes a normal part of the experience. And not that it's normal and that we should accept it. It's, it's experienced by many more women than what we think. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's just good to talk about it and bring it out of the shadows more. 100%. And I'm so glad that you like the podcast enough that you bring it into your therapy session. I'm so glad that the content is relevant enough for you and hopefully for other people too. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, my therapist has been awesome. Um, but it's been also, you know, challenging too. She definitely is not afraid to call me on my BS and make me do the work. So. That's good. It is, it is like, work. This podcast has definitely been an exercise and, kind of normal, normal, you know, making my feelings more normal, um, and kind of a cathartic experience of just kind of being able to talk about it in a positive way versus a fear and anxiety driven way. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I think these next couple of questions will be, a, that will be a great segue into the next couple of questions, because I'm kind of curious, like that positive or at least like more functional kind of, what are we going to do with all that information now? So the last four questions here I ask to every mom. Um, first things first, what do you wish you knew back then? It could be at any point. I think that I wish that I knew to give myself permission to not be okay. Um, to be able to talk about my feelings 
sooner and not feel shame for the feelings that I'm feeling. Um, you know, very early on, you know, with the feelings of, you know, shame and grief and, you know, whatnot with, you know, my son's diagnosis and my struggles with breastfeeding and stuff like that. Um, I wish I gave myself permission to not feel shame about my feelings, to accept the grief that I, you know, at the loss of this idea, ideal of mother, motherhood that I was going to have and start talking about it more versus just kind of shutting up and putting up with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. What would you go back and tell yourself now, if you could, knowing everything that you know now? Um, I think just a lot of reiteration of I'm still valuable. I'm still loved. I'm still wanted. Um, I'm still useful. Like I serve a purpose and my purpose is to be my son's mother, my husband's wife, my family's daughter, sister, all of those relationships are extremely important and they make my life valuable. That's wonderful. It kind of makes me want to tear up. That's Sorry, not trying to make people cry. It's okay. These are always way more emotional for me in a good way than I anticipate them being. So it's great. I love the strength and just everything that comes through from you women. It's incredible. Um, other than everything that you've already talked about, do you think there's anything else that's important for women to know as they navigate pregnancy or motherhood? I think from the moment that you conceive, you are a mom through and through. And when you become a mom, you become part of a club, this really cool, beautiful club. And we moms need to take care of each other, to hold each other up and continue to be that support, whether it be your sister, your best friend, or a complete stranger. And I feel like because of that club status, that membership status of being a mom, you know, we got to love each other and take care of each other. Um, if you see a mom in, in trouble, ask her if she just needs a handhold or a hug when there's no COVID or something, you know, um, even if it's a touch on the shoulder or something, you know, that solidarity with another mom who might be, you can see visually might be struggling. So mm-hmm. be kind to our other moms. They're part of our club. Yeah. I believe in that so much and I've never felt connection with other people the way that I've felt connections with moms and I mean it's just crazy my husband is super open like there's nothing in the world that I have not told him but there is something unique about moms in this club that you're referencing which is like sometimes depending on the day depending on the situation a stranger mother on the sidewalk who I never spoke to could understand me more than my own husband. And it's because she's a mom, like, and he'll never be a mom. Yeah. No matter what he does and how hands-on he is. And like, there's just, there's something about moms. And we, like you said, like we have to have each other's backs. And I think, I think we do. I think there are some exceptions, obviously, but, but I hope that we do. And I hope it continues to feel that way. Yeah. Um, it's so, so important. So last question, why do you think it's important to do and go through hard things? I think that it's the only way for us to continue to grow and learn. 
Um, if I were to talk to myself when I first got married to my husband, I don't think I would have the compassion, the inner strength, the life skills to be able to do the things that I do now. Um, I think that it's important to go through the hard things so we can also reassess what is truly important to us. Um, like, you don't know, I guess that whole idea of you don't know what you have until it's gone. But in this case, we're only gaining. So the idea you know, of being a mom and going through the hard things that we go through, we've gained something new, we've gained something exciting. And you know, the postpartum depression, anxiety, it just really showed how special those things are to me and showed me how I can grow and learn to then value those things that are truly important to me. For more information and resources, head to my website at www.jennaoverbaugh.com. From there, you can sign up for my email newsletter so you can make sure that you are the most up-to-date about upcoming resources, podcast episodes, blogs, challenges, and more. Also, check me out on Instagram at jenna.overbaugh and tune into some other episodes here while you're at it. As always, if you have a free minute, it would mean the world to me if you could please subscribe and rate this podcast. Subscriptions and ratings help me keep the podcast going and help me spread the word to other people who need these resources and they otherwise may not get them. With that said, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I really love creating these episodes for you. And until next time, keep doing all the hard things.